Hey guys, Jack here. Excited to announce that the Just Hands Across America tour is going to begin tomorrow. And uh, for those of you who are unaware, Zach and I are going to be traveling across the country, playing poker. Uh, that's that's most of it. And you can follow that journey by tuning into our website. We'll be writing about it, JustHandsPoker.com. Also following us on Twitter, JustHandsPoker is our handle. And also we have a new Snapchat, uh, the handle for that is also Just Hands Poker. We'll have some more details about what type of content to expect, uh, but we'll drop that on you guys next week. And for now, uh, enjoy this week's episode, and thank you guys for listening. But I, I just think it's interesting because uh, this is like a different situation. Normally, you know, poker's tough these days, and what you're surrounded by is competent nits and pros. So I wasn't, you know, entirely sure how to play against this guy, even though, you know, you, you see one of these guys once every three or four months maybe. Yeah, I, really early on in my poker career, and when I say really early on, like when I was probably 18. Oh, tracksuit uh, man. Some of my friends and I drove up. <laughs> yeah, we drove, drove up to the Soaring Eagle Casino in Saginaw, Michigan, which to anyone who plays that regularly or has ever been there, God bless you. It is not a great casino. <laughs> the poker room is probably like four or five tables max on like a Friday, Saturday night. And, you know, if you show up on like a Sunday afternoon, which we did, you might not have a game going. So... You know, in that first time going to the Soaring Eagle, there's this guy that, you know, we dubbed the Maniac. Because, we, I mean, we were all playing at the same table because there was only one or two tables going. Um, and it was this guy wearing a tracksuit, just, like, going through stacks, just trying to bully everybody. And we just kind of learned quickly, like, if you've got a pair, you've got to call down. Right. Uh, I mean, I know, maybe not, not any pair, but a lot of players like that, I think there are some players, like, who value bet too thinly. And when I say vibe too thinly, like not in an educated way. For one, beyond where an educated person would value that thinly, and two, they're not even thinking about it like that. And against those people, you kind of have to divide your bluff catching range in half, uh, maybe not precisely half, where you're calling down your best bluff catchers pretty much always, and you're folding your worst ones pretty much always because you're not worried as much about picking off bluffs as much as getting beat by hands that really shouldn't be betting. Yeah. Right. Okay. And against yeah, against these players, I think, like the maniacs of the world, I think you divide your bluff catching range into like maybe three quarters or four fifths, and call with the top three quarters or four fifths, because you know the bottom quarter or so of your bluff catching range is pretty shitty, especially like since you're carrying it from like the flop to the turn to the river, like you're carrying a larger ratio than you normally do. So you end up with some pretty poor hands. So yeah, you, yeah. You still like you said, a guy, a guy who's pressing, guy who's pressing buttons, and not just his, his 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 big river bets could be like third or fourth pair, and he doesn't know if it's a bluff or for value kind of thing. Yeah, I think the hand you brought in with sevens kind of illustrates that. You know, like yeah. you know, who knows what he's doing with nine three? Like when he paused, it was it to like go for like super thin value, or was it to be like? I have a pair, so maybe I shouldn't bet, but I'll probably just bet, you know? <laughs> right. Um, or somehow he was trying to force me off a baby flush there. I don't know, yeah. This guy, is, it's really hard to know his mind, but, yeah, I do like the... You, you can't just bluff catch with everything. Yeah, and I don't... You, you can't mind losing a little bit of money to those guys because you're probably going to get it back as evidenced by uh, right. the latter hand here. It is frustrating. Sometimes you're the guy who's given him all the money, and then he's given it to, back to everybody else. But you know, yeah. Whenever I'm at the table and a player like that is there, I get like so happy when like a regular, especially a nitty regular, loses a pot to them. <laughs> right, right. No, I mean you can't. You know, I felt there's a yeah. A buddy of mine was just taking it. Was just already buried like four thousand dollars. This is actually the last hand of the night for the lunatic. And we obviously did not want to see this guy go down. So um, Lunatic opens to like 50, and my buddy just shoves um, $2,000 in there. And the Lunatic calls right away, and of course my buddy has aces. <laughs> and the, the Lunatic, um, I didn't say a word, but another another pro there was like, give him a bad beat or something, you know what I mean? Just kind of giving him the needle. <laughs> yeah. Ace-queen, go! But it was aces against ace-queen, and the aces held. And this guy who... Had probably 6,500 or maybe a little bit more. Um, he picked up and left. 
He didn't. He didn't reload. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. So that, I that guess that's the, enough of a rush. Yeah. Well, <laughs> when we knew he was, because we all kind of knew, especially that he was not going to be reloading. He'd be leaving probably. So um, yeah, we you got to you got to root against your buddy there. You know, there's nothing you can do, even when he's having like the worst night ever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have to be cruel. Uh, He's not that good a friend. I mean, you know, okay, well, then we can definitely root against him. Yeah, yeah. It's not, the, not a best buddy, a guy who, uh, you know. So, so yeah. Uh, by Mike, the way, guys, oh, I, I wanted to, I was just going to say, I think you're, uh, I saw your video with the Greg Raymer video, the, your, your setup there, and I thought, I thought it was ingenious, by the way. I would try oh, to, I would try so to much. steal the idea of, I would try to steal the idea from you, but, you know, you'd, you'd know where I got it from, so. Hey. If you want to steal the idea, that's great. We're also we're currently planning on trying to do something like that in uh in the Bay Area, so we could talk a okay. more about that. Is that an expensive setup, an investment for you guys to get the you know the special cards and all that kind of stuff? And well, we're we're very lucky. Uh, so any anyone that hasn't watched the Greg Raymer event, we filmed it at the Poker on Air Studios in Akron, Ohio. Uh, and then for uh by the time you're listening to this, the event would have already happened. But for the Thinking Poker event. Uh, in in New York, we're uh, getting Tony from Poker on Air to drive out his entire setup here. So it's, uh, it's a pretty it's a pretty unique opportunity. It would pro- it would run us I think at least five grand to set it up. So if we were doing these regularly, uh, we'd buy it and we've definitely looked into you know investing in our own. But right now we haven't we don't have our own stuff. Okay. I, yeah, I had a more I had a more wild romantic uh, vision of you guys. You know, w- one of your moms was taking an afternoon nap, and you said, come on quickly, boys, and drag all this stuff down to the basement for a quick shoot. But no, okay, this was a professional. Uh... <laughs> it was good though. Yeah, it's great. Like I said, uh, I was on live with the bike once, and uh, I had a, a pro I know because, like you said, sometimes they're just there for entertainment. But I had a, a good pro analyze my play, and it was uh, it was pretty helpful. It's a lot of fun uh, for everyone, I think. How'd you guys get hooked up with the uh, with Andrew and Nate? Were you were you kind of friends pre podcast, or they heard your podcast and liked it, and you decided to work together? Or? Definitely not the latter. Oh, well. uh, I I, <laughs> I like to think of myself as like friends with Nate and Andrew, just because by the time I've reached out to them, I've listened to them talk so much on the podcast that I felt like I knew them. But I didn't really know them. I've like interacted with them <laughs> a little bit on like social media and email. Uh, but then it was just after we did the Greg Raymer event, we wanted to do another one like it. And they felt kind of like the most natural partners uh, just because, you know, they have a, a, a similar uh, like concept for their podcast and are also, I know Andrew's been, you know, back and forth between Bay Area and the East Coast and Nate's on the East Coast. So it felt like a, you know, a mutually beneficial thing that also was, was doable. Right. Okay. Yeah. We've, cool. we've had them both on the show too. Yeah. Um, I listened to those. Yeah. Well, good luck with that. That's cool as hell. Thank you. Thank you. Well, yeah, it's, this weekend, very excited. Yeah. So, so Mike, I, I want to, more recently on the podcast, you've been talking kind of about like, you know, not just the poker playing that comes with being like a, you know, a primarily two, three live low stakes cash grinder, uh, but also about, you know, the lifestyle and kind of all the emotions that come with it. And for our listeners that haven't yet checked out your podcast, I was wondering if you can kind of just, do you want to get into that uh, on our show and just kind of like what you've been working on lately and, you know, what have, what have your challenges been Sure. as of late? Um, yeah, well, I, um, I've i always lived on the edge <laughs> emotionally, psychologically. So, yeah, much of the Heads Up Poker podcast is just uh, exposing a man who probably shouldn't play poker, let's be honest. Um, so yeah, a lot of the basic stuff with poker, um, you know, like I'm getting coaching and he's just like, it's like bankroll management, um, game selection, tilt control. And all these are kind of, you know, emotional maturity issues. Um, so I'm still kind of getting the poker 101 stuff from that way. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, I've listened to, uh, Doug Polk, so at least I understand the terms. So, you know, I'm, I'm getting a master's degree in poker strategy at least i'm up there but when it comes to the you know the lifestyle stuff i'm way behind so i uh, i moved to california like two and a half years ago my son lived out here and i gave up a i was on the right side of variance for a couple years i didn't realize it well I i was a mailman in connecticut and for like a year and a half i didn't i just deposited my um i didn't even touch my postal salary 
I was able to live off online poker tournament winnings. So I thought becoming a poker pro is pretty easy. Um, and I came out here and, uh, first of all, I didn't know there's a difference between cash and tournaments insert laughter. Uh, so I, you know, yeah, I, I I've survived just by having, you know, I had a couple decent on uh, live scores. Uh, you know, I went deep in the, uh, the Colossus this last year and I've had a couple, you know, real, um, hot runs in the online tournaments, but basically, uh, it's kind of been like me up at the, on the threshold of sort of economic and emotional collapse here. Maybe that's too strong a term. And, uh, you know, I've, I've Ubered a little bit. I worked at Bed Bath and Beyond just to, but I've always bounced back good, good enough or lucky enough at poker where it seems like every time I'm, I'm on the edge, I've had a good, uh, tournament score, but, um, yeah, and what I'm doing now that's different as opposed to before, um, I don't know. It's uh, I, I did meet – I know you guys – I mean, everyone who – almost half the poker players in the world seem to have have, uh, have met with Elliot. So I, I only did one session with him. Uh, he's a super smart guy. And it, it, it reinforced what I already knew. I don't know if I have – you know, I was a pretty hardcore degenerate gambler and, you know, the whole psychology of gamblers wanting to be punished – but when things do start sliding in the wrong direction, there's a part of my personality that definitely wants to wants to witness uh, the slide to become more <laughs> uh, to become uglier. Maybe I don't know. So that that helped me. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I still I still struggle with it because poker's tough. So I, I don't I don't really have any. I'm not the one to uh, to answer for and to uh, offer any good answers on this. Other than, um, like I said, those those things, the bankroll management and the game selection, I'm just, you know, simple thing. I don't start an online grind until I've taken a quick nap or had some exercise that day. And if I'm feeling very frustrated at, frust, frustrated at a cash game table, I will get up and leave, um, which is something I just never did before. I think that's an Elliott statement that quitting is a skill. That's yeah. a real good one. Yeah, also, I'm, I'm rereading Elements of Poker right now by Tommy Angelo, and he talks about that and goes into all the oh, maybe types that's, of maybe that's where I Yeah, maybe that's where I heard, yeah, heard that from. But it, it, it really is. You know, like I, I was thinking about this for myself. Uh, I was at Foxwoods over the weekend, and uh, on, because there's, there's a lot of benefits to quitting that aren't just the financial EV, you know? Forgetting mm-hmm. the fact that it's really easy to talk yourself into playing because there's bad players at the table and it's really plus EV, like let's let's say that whenever you think that it's like financially plus EV to stay at the table, it is. Uh, then there's also all the other aspects about life. So I, I got to Foxwoods, haven't played live poker for about maybe a week, week and a half at this point, and I was playing two five cash. It was going great. Um, I was up uh, a little over two thousand dollars in about two and a half hours, and then around the four hour mark, I was getting a little tired. I was spending the night on a couch. The two previous nights and I think I just need some sleep but then a new PLO game opened that looked great and ended up playing that for like another two, two and a half hours after I probably should have quit and I'm sure I had a positive expectation in the game, probably even higher than 2-5 no limit, I just happened to be running really well uh, but you know I regret playing that PLO game despite the fact that I made a few hundred bucks you know, because right. I was tired and even now Wednesday I finally like caught up on some sleep last night and just feeling the effects of that. And it's, it's just really difficult to understand in the moment how staying later than you'd like to will compound these decisions, especially, uh, sorry, will compound the negative effects, especially late at night. Yeah. Elliot, um, let's say his session begins interesting by just, he really knows the poker thing. So he, he'll talk about, you know, bankroll, what's your bankroll right now? What games are you playing? And he's like, well, you're playing too big. You know, that just adds to the stress. You just can't play optimally. And the same with, well, how long do you play for? And he, he suggested, and sometimes I will go to that casino, at, you know, and play 16, 17 hours. I think I played as long as 36. And he, his feeling is you should never play more than eight hours unless the, unless the game is just great, not even good. Yeah. Um, and that, that, that was his, he says, actually set the alarm for eight hours and then set the alarm for every hour after that. And just try to stop and take a look at it. You know, where where are you emotionally, physically, and you know how good the, how good is this game really? Are you here now just to just to play poker because you don't you know you don't want to stop or is is this is this profitable? You know, 
Yeah, and it's really important to get it from the table because it's so easy to delude yourself while you're sitting down, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a couple guys at the casino where I'm I'm now finding some good mentors here, I'd like to think. There's one guy I know for the day. He probably plays – I mean, I don't ask people their hourly or how much money they have. Um, I think for, for the sake of ego, I'm going to keep doing tournaments until I have, like, one good score. You know, I need to I need to be on one of those WSOP final streams for my dad to watch. You know what I mean? Wait, let's talk about that for a uh, second, Mike, before we move on. So, so, okay. So what are your primary motivations for, for playing tournaments? Um, well, that's how I started. I think I'm good at them. Um, but it is, yeah, I think I started, you know, Andrew and Nate talking about this. There's, you know, the poker broom. There's some people who are just fascinated by the game. But if I'm honest, you know, there's some people who are just fascinated by the, the glory a little bit, you know, with Moneymaker, any, any sort of tubby accountant can, uh, can get a little glory. That's about the only <laughs> venture where, 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 I mean, I'm, I'm 46 and I didn't really play my first hand of poker until I was probably, you know, 39 or something seven years ago. Um, maybe a little earlier than that. So, um, and the tournaments are, yeah, it's not just about that. No, the tournaments are fun. Like I kind of joke that, uh, with people, it's like, well, I like taking chips out of a bag, and, but it's true. You know what I mean? Day two of a tournament has like excitement that I've, I've won a couple tournaments too. So I like trophies. I like, I like having, um, like I said, had a, I've had a couple of good WSOP runs where, you know, my, my name's in the blog and all my buddies are following it and all that kind of stuff. So that's all fun. But I like, um, yeah, running deep in a tournament is, um, I came in, I also uh, twitch and I came in second in 100K a few weeks ago. Um, kind of a break, a, a tough losing streak for me. So that was good financially. But I was also twitching and there was like 50 people in there rooting me on. So there's that aspect, which, which any sensible person trying to make a living at it yeah, one of my better buddies, he's always he's always mocking the tournaments. I mean, he just says they're all documents. Doesn't matter if it's a high roller. That's his that's his feeling on it. Um, he plays like one every two years, I think. But uh, he says, you know, cash game players have cash, and you tournament players have ego. And uh, so, like I said, my ego demands that I have at like least one six figure score or one deep run. And then uh, after that. You know, my, my, like I was going to say, my mentor is here at the Ocean's Eleven Casino. There's one guy, he just, he probably grinds 30 hours a week uh, at the most. If it's a bad game, he'll come in for an hour. If it's a bunch of pros, he'll just, you know, he'll have a quick, he'll have a beer and a burger and get out of there. <laughs> and he probably makes 60 bucks an hour. And, uh, you know, it doesn't have, really care if he has a good session or a bad session. I mean, there's variance for everybody. I'm sure at some point he's, he's been like wanted to slam his head into a wall. But, uh yeah, he's got it figured out. So, I'd like to think right after I have my uh, my good score, then I, that I and I have you know the good bankroll and all that kind of stuff, then I will be transitioning to the sensible middle class, upper middle class, whatever grinder, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was I was interested in the tournament thing just because, from my perspective, from like a financial return and like variance and life perspective, I think it's really hard to justify working on that versus cash. And I yep. think it's awesome that, you know, you're so aware of why you're playing tournaments and are comfortable, you know, with, with that. It, it, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's definitely guys who make a living doing just live tournaments. Um, but it's probably just the top guys. LA is uh, living in this area is like a little different. And then there's always, almost always good value, value tournaments going on. And you don't necessarily have to travel that far because, the Commerce has like four series a year. Then the bike has a lot of series. And then like even the Hustler, the Larry Flint. Um, <laughs> you, there's, there's always a lot of tournaments going on. So you could probably, you know, get, uh, you know, play 150 plus tournaments of good value. But of course, that's just not a lot of tournaments. And you could, I know there's one kid who has gone to tear recently who is, I forget, he, he's probably won $500,000 in uh and I saw him. I'm like, man, I, I joked. I'm like, variance-free Danny. He's like, dude, I've, I've broken a streak of six losing years. <laughs> you know, so I don't. Um, yeah, it's pretty, it's, pre, it's pretty ugly. Um, yeah, that's the thing. You know, even it, even uh, those online, winning players, like, you know, I, I, I kind of question whether it is, like, really possible to make a decent living playing live tournaments unless you're at the very, very highest level. 
you know, which is probably like a small double digit amount of people, just because even if you're quite good, the sample size is just so small that like most years you're just going to like lose money. Yeah. I mean, I've asked, um, I don't know if you've listened to, we had, a, I had, we've had Scott Stewart on the, he's probably one of the top three or four kind of Southern California or West of Vegas grinders. And he won the LAPC like twice and you know, for six figures, um, back to back. And he's got like a bunch of rings and he just seems to run deep in everything. And I'm asking him for, you know, I, he might be, he's probably, he's real good, but he's definitely capable of, you know, having two or three losing years in a row. I'm sure. Yeah. And I'm sure he's a great player, but like, you know, I, I just don't think those results should be like the primary thing someone looks for in a coach or, you know what I mean? Like, because right. him, him winning is so much more of a result of variance than it is of his skill. Yeah, I mean, you know, I track my own results. Um, and I've had a couple of people make fun of the tournaments. And I'm like, hey, man, I make 110 an hour with an ROI of 80%. That was like a year and a half ago. And I'm like, hey, I make 71 an hour with an ROI of 61%. And now, you know, <laughs> those numbers keep going down. Um, you know, I, I'd like to think long term they're going to be profitable, but not to be able to sustain a lifestyle unless of course you hit the monster score, which is just, you know, unlikely or 0.5, you know, percent kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, whenever you're evaluating your edge, which is like so difficult in poker, uh, cash, really cash or, uh, tournaments. I, I think you have to like factor in both your past results uh, which you can't ignore, obviously, but you also just have to be really confident that your opponent, your opponents are just making enough fundamental errors that you can identify, know mathematically why they're wrong and are exploiting, uh, that you can overcome, you can be confident that you're overcoming rake. I mean, let alone right, like winning enough to make it worthwhile, but just even overcoming rake is pretty substantial. Well, there's definitely great value in a lot of these LA tournaments. Um, there's a lot of guys who just are crazy. So it's a bit occasionally there was one tournament. What was it called? It was uh, the Iron Man, where you know there's no breaks and you just play it through. I think it was a 1K. And I looked around and this is a sort of tournament that just doesn't appeal to the amateurs and the pros thought this was cool. So there's like 70 people, and you know I, I think I'm a pretty fair <laughs> estimate of my skill. And I looked around <laughs> and I said. Um, I kind of did the calculations in my mind because I'm like, there's only like 10 people here are drawn dead. These are, I recognize half the people and, you know, you could see. So you, you, you factor the rake and everything out. It's like, well, I'm making two bucks an hour is my EV for this tournament probably, you know. It's just, yeah, uh, no like it's almost, it's almost all, it's almost all pros who showed up for this. Usually I'm pretty good at getting the ones that are um, of high value, but this this was just a bad. This was just a waste of my time. I mean, I could have, you know, I could have won it. I didn't, you know. But yeah, and even if you got to the point where, let's say, like you could realistically have an ROI such that your hourly here is like a hundred dollars an hour, it still might not make sense to play from like a bankroll management standpoint. You know, right? When you have such a high variance tournament, like you just need, you know, a couple hundred buy-ins for that, and even of like the best and the people with the good results for like playing live tournaments, how many of them really have, you know, a couple hundred, a few hundred buy-ins at their disposal? Yeah. I mean, you gotta, you know, online's a little different of course, cause you can put such a volume in, but even there, um, yeah, even there is, is, you know, even if you, you plug grind 1500, 1500 tournaments in a year online, which would probably be at an average number, maybe actually even low for the real hardcore grinders. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you can have a losing year. Although I don't, you know, the cash game can be pretty, I don't know if you guys have ever had a losing year. I guess it's hard to do if you're really elite. Although there's a, the two plus two thread. I, the guy was discussing actually at the table the other day. Um, if I'm getting the stats right, I was, he said that someone was saying they were a 20 big blind per hour uh, player at PLO. And there's still a 5% chance or something you could have a losing year. Yeah, I don't know if that's well, it's, it's uh, all a matter of volume. Yeah, I was going to say like well, no, some, I think this was over two thousand hours. They were saying I don't know if that's that sounds, but I, the one guy coaching. Yeah, that sounds incorrect to me. I would have to run the math. It's it's fairly simple, you know. Okay. If you just put in 
uh, like your win rate into a variance calculator and then you could look at the standard deviation of what's going to happen and how much you're going to deviate from it given the amount of hours played. Uh, right. But being a 20 big blind winner, even in a high variance game like PLO, I just can't imagine like there's as high as a 5% chance of you having a losing year. But I could be wrong. Okay. Yeah, it couldn't be. The one guy who's like coaching me, he was he built his bankroll playing for some reason Montana. He 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 studied it and knew this was like the best 5-5 PLO game ever. So he just went up there and moved and he he made about 150 bucks an hour plus two years in a row and he was just saying it was just it was impossible to lose at the game pretty much. But um the mistakes were so massive from, you know, the average player there. Yeah, with that PLO example like I guess depending on how the game plays, I could imagine it more so like if it, I mean, obviously anyone, I think with a 20 big blind, an hour win rate, it's going to be at a deep game. And if it's like an unbelievably deep game where like the majority of your win rate comes from winning, like just massive pots every once in a while, we are getting it in with like a 60, 40 edge. Yeah. Like, or even a 70, 30 edge. Uh, where even though it's 2,000 hours played, we're talking about like, you know, maybe 1,500 hands are making up the majority of your win rate. Well, I know the good cash game players are are much less stressed than the uh, the tournament players, so that's a good sign right there. That uh, yeah, and if, the, if I had the variance to... is not is not as uh, you know is agonizingly cruel in, than it is in tournaments. And if I had access to no limit games that were even close to as soft as the PLO games that I'm able to play in, just because PLO is much, much softer in 2017 than no limit, you know, I'd be way less stressed than I do now, than I am now, because most of my volume is in PLO. Yeah, that sounds. Yeah. I'd like to think, um, you know, it's fun. And whenever I'm playing like a tournament and playing against like a top player, I'll talk to someone afterwards. I'm like, well, this is just someone who doesn't make mistakes. They have like superior character. They're not going to. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of going off on a, a tangent here, but I, I like to think you just talking about what we started talking about, like the mental side and how you survive. It's like I've improved my character now where I don't mind stepping back and playing two, three and grinding the, the 11, $11 turbo online and that sort of thing. Yeah, um, that's that's really important. Like, I, I got so many weird looks at Foxwoods when I went from, like, you know, I was in a great 2-5 game that, you know, slowly got worse and worse. Uh, and I had, like, whatever, uh, $2,800 in front of me. And then I leave to play in a $300 max PLO game. It's like, oh, my God, like, you were the chip leader. Why did you leave? But, you know, you got you to gotta just always chase the edges, even if, like, one might make you look like a boss to other people more right. so, you know? Well, I have been ridiculed for um, for dropping to two three by a couple a couple guys there, and um, it, one of them it's it, it's it's grown contentious. Let me tell you, in these small card rooms, it's like a, you get to know everybody. But uh, we actually, I'll, actually, you can hear, listen to this on the next Heads Up Poker podcast. But I've been pushing. There's a five five game with a fifteen hundred dollar buy in, and then there's a two three with a four hundred dollar max, and there's this huge gap there. And like as I was a uh, Jack, I don't think you were on for this part, but I was talking about how um, there's a bunch of 1025 players who like play this five five game because it's so juicy and it's just really tough and hard to beat. And so um, and there's two, three players who would like to who've explicitly said, I'd like to play, you know, f- f- that game. But look how many, you know, there's so those guys are so good or there's so many chips on. So I've been pushing the casino that are sort of two five game and they played it with a eight hundred dollar max and they finally you know put that on the. We're now playing that, um, or we, we, we only got the game running once, but hopefully it's going to go. But it's just, uh, it, it just oh, the, the, the one pro is just giving me, he's like, why don't you just go back to the post office? <laughs> kind of giving me hell. And another one sat, sat at the table, and he's like, you do, realize there's, um, you do realize there's not really enough players in this casino to have 2-5 and 5-5. Five, five. I'm like, well, you know, you guys might have to hustle and get that 5-10 game going, because this 5-5 five, five game is just awful. So I don't know. As a, as a bankroll man, talking about bankroll management and game selection, I've I've become proactive here at the local casino. Yeah, but, that's that's smart. And I just want to backpedal for a second and just talk about variance for a second because I think uh, when you're talking about like the tournaments versus cash uh, grind, 
and you you complain about the variance of tournaments. It's it's legitimate because I mean, uh, you know, the risk of ruin is higher in in tournaments, and that yep. forces you to you know if you're going to play responsibly, to play uh, somewhere where your your ROI is probably lower than what it would be at cash. So that that that's true. But I think variance gets a bad rap. Where I think really as a poker player you should be looking at variance through more of a neutral lens, if not a positive lens. Because, you know, if there were no variance in the game, there'd be no game. Uh, right. If there were less variance in the game, there'd be less of a game. Uh, and there would probably be no game. So, one, everyone should quickly thank variance. Two, I I think it's totally reasonable to say, if, if you're a cash grinder, say, like, you know, I want a little bit more variance in my, you know, income this year. I'd rather... You know, rather than make fifty thousand, you know, let's say forty to eighty thousand playing mostly two five this year, I'd rather make like thirty to, you know, a different distribution, but ranging from like thirty to a million, thirty thousand to a million by <laughs> adding great. a couple tournaments. Right. And obviously that distribution, like the EV, I mean, play, uh, playing those tournaments is probably, probably. It should be a little higher if you're playing the right tournaments because, you know, you, you could definitely shot take a couple tournaments where your ROI is going to be better than better than what it would be using those hours playing cash. And so if you add a couple of those tournaments in, which would, you know, traditionally be thought of as shot taking, you're really just adding some variance to your yearly income. And you might be you might be saying, I'm willing to give up, you know, 10,000 on the bottom end to possibly increase yeah. my possibility and increase my distribution such that now there are, you know, there's some percent chance that I'm going to make hundred thousand this year. There's some percent chance I'm going to make 200,000 uh, rather than know pretty comfortably that I'm going to be somewhere between 40 and 80. And I, you know, that's, I think one, it's financially prudent as long as like 30,000 isn't going to like mess up your life, uh, which it probably won't. Well, that's a lot of money. Um, yeah, I think it's like you said, just all tournaments, maybe just look at, at shot taking um, is probably it's funny. I drove up to this uh, last um, the spike circuit main event with a guy who's almost always cash. He actually won a couple circuit rings like five years ago, but just finds, you know, just stop playing tournaments. And, um, you know, one of those things he was at the, he, he busted the last hand of the night, but he was just marveling. It's kind of how bad he's like, my God, there's so much value in these things. You know, definitely we, we got to fire up here once a month. So it wasn't like, oh, my God, I'm a, I'm a tournament player now. But it's like it's it's valuable to take more shots for him. Right. Is the way he was kind of looking at it. But, um, yeah, I don't know. You know, I had this talk with this one friend here, and this isn't like to start a, to challenge the character of the uh, the cash game players, but just throw it out there. It's like. It occurred to me maybe this is the, the the tournament players are romantics. You know, it's a different maybe it's a different yeah. And everybody there's the excitement. My God, congratulations! You see someone, so it's like these um, you know, the, these tournament these cash game guys are just yeah soulless surgeons at work. Just you know, <laughs> the butcher with the knife just cutting off their piece. I don't know, man. It's it in some of it. Not that I'm. I mean, I'm like the worst person, so I, I can't even like judge. But some of this stuff about how they, uh, some of these 10-25 games are really players are just really good at befriending the whales. Hey, when you're in town, let me know when there's a game. Um, and yeah, that just kind of makes me uncomfortable. I don't know. I mean, that that's part of the business, and I'm starting to do it too. Um, a little bit. I don't know if that's. I mean, I think at the higher levels, it's a huge part of the business where, um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, these are adults they're playing against. And if it's somebody with a lot of money, there's a, you know, there's a guy that kind of the 1025 game is built around. And when he's, when he wants to play, he texts, um, you know, so-and-so and they call everybody else. And normally the game only runs twice a week, but if he wants it on a Wednesday, they run it on a Wednesday. So they're not, not really taking advantage of them. This is what he wants. But, um, yeah, I don't know what I'm saying, but uh, yeah, uh, the, the tournament, the tournament, there's just definitely the tournament players. I, I guess would be just silly from the cash game perspective, from the cash game players' uh, perspective. But a certain player, if I'm gonna defend my tournament, uh, the romantics there looking for the big score are not are not not running their life in the most uh, optimal way. But um, you know, 
They're chasing the dream. Yeah, I would yeah, just I, I would just add that like accurate. anyone who's playing poker for a large part of their income is chasing the dream and being romantic in some way. But okay, re- relatively, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Right? No, there's there's uh, great guys. there's great guys who are at the cash game table too. But I'm like, there's a the top get the top player who's there. It's just like okay, this. This man has no soul. I mean, he really, like, life is just an EV calculation where he can, you know, if, if he can, I mean, it's like, um, well, I'd become, I, I, if he hears it, I don't even care because it's, but like, I, I become friends with one of the masseuse and he's like, this guy probably made $300,000 last year at this casino, which is, you know, sucking out a lot of the money from a small casino. And um, I was happy to hear from the masseuse that he's like the worst tipper there. And, you know, like I'm convinced he comes over. Can I have that bottle of water just so he doesn't have to tip a waitress? You know what I mean? He's everything is there's tournament players do the same thing. I'm just saying, you know. Yeah, I mean, Zach, I hate to disagree with you, uh, but I don't think you do. Yeah, I think that's okay. No, I don't. But I (laughs) yeah, I think there's a lot of a lot of poker players who have lost the romance uh, element of poker. They might have had it at one point. Uh, I think most people don't. I, I mean, I think some do, but I think most people don't come into the game thinking about like, uh, yeah. So I think my expectation would be this if I work uh, this hard. I think that's probably more common now, actually, is people coming in with that mindset of like, oh yeah, I should come in and be a grinder uh, and grind at this hourly, and this is going to be my expectation, and this is going to be my level variance. That probably happens more now, but I think whether or not, however people in the past got into poker, became a poker pro, whatever that journey looked like, I think a lot of them are no longer very. Well, it's it's it. so hard in defense of the like the the person who's become just you know uh, it, yeah I mean it's just if if you came in with a romantic you know vision, especially if you've been playing pre black pre Black Friday where you were shoveling the money and now it's just um. I'm an ex-waiter and bartender, so the tipping, like, when I see someone who just doesn't tip, that bothers me. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It doesn't tip the dealers or whatever. Um, but, yeah, it's hard. You know, it's funny. We were talking about Lyman before, um, I think before we even started recording. And uh, I just happened to stumble across a podcast he did, like, seven years ago, and it was prophetic. This was even pre-Black Friday. He's like, this is going to get so tough. All these kids who are coming into poker now. He's like, get ready for making 14 bucks an hour playing No Limit Hold'em. Because the games are going to slowly die, people are going to get good and just force out the a lot of the recreational players, and uh, that's kind of what it is. Yeah, people people keep saying that, but I think there's a lot of regulars and people that make their income from poker that are frequently making a ton of mistakes that are fairly easily exploitable. So that's a pretty that's yeah. true, but it's I don't think people are just giving you their money. It's like you have to like you're getting your money from the regs too. You know, finding ways to exploit the the competent regs as much as guys showing up and just you know oh, dumping yeah. dumping thousands is. I actually, um, you know, I was I'm trying to transition to cash. You know, for all the reasons we've discussed. And there's a kid who I know who's a really good cash game player, and um, he let me watch him play online. And um, it's one of those things. I think ten years ago, he's probably one of the he's a millionaire and one of the top cash game players in the world. And now mm-hmm. it's like if he wants to make that eight big blinds per hundred, he grinds the New Jersey sites, um, you know, Poker Stars New Jersey. And and uh, I mean, I'm just looking at the massive amount. He's kind of turned himself into a bot in terms of looking at all the software and everything else. Like he knows ex- his exact range, you know, six handed in every position against every kind of opener. And he studies the regs meticulously. You know, he's probably if he, if he grinds 40 hours a week, he's probably studying 20 hours a week. And um yeah, maybe that's why I like tournaments. It's it's there. It's you can be lazier, but uh, I mean, maybe your experience is different. But if you want to make, I don't know what he makes, probably fifty fifty dollars an hour plus. But this is even grinding below limits. You're playing against mostly pros, and yeah, you you got to find out how those other pros are just not up to snuff. Well, the online the online might be a little different because yeah, it's I, just I think online we had uh, yeah mm-hmm. on the Heads Up Poker podcast we had Dusty Schmidt. Who was I think like wasn't he like two years in a row ranked number one cash game player on Poker Stars or something? And uh, he was just grinding mass volume of one two and and two four or whatever. Um, 
and I don't, you know, this isn't like to criticize him, but it's, and he said it's on an average six max table, it's five pros and one amateur and it's five pros just trying to not get exploited by the, by the other one and trying to get the amateurs money. Yeah. And that's, it's just, there's a pretty, pretty low ceiling to like how profitable that can be, especially with the rake and, you know, in a zero sum game where the house is taking a cut, you know, regardless of the format, you're going to have bigger losers than you have uh, winners. So either those losers have to be willing to just keep shoving one of the game or some of the winners are going to become losers or you have to replace the losers. And right. uh, it's just becoming, it's becoming harder to do. It's, it's not impossible. There are going to be more people who are born and discover poker and decide to play poker. I, right. I don't doubt that, but I, you know, like like any economic boom, there's unrealistic expectations and yeah. But like I said, I think eight big blinds per hundred is. I mean, that's a good number right now for online poker, right? For cash. Yeah. So I mean, I, I, the math there doesn't really make sense to me. If I don't know what stakes this guy is playing, but uh, I guess if this guy is, you know, five tabling fifty a dollar uh, with an eight big blind. You said eight big blind per hundred. Yeah, that's what he said. Well, I, I think in New Jersey you don't have like a lot of five ten, so it's mostly two hundred, four hundred. He's playing, you know, one two two four probably. Um, yeah, then it sounds like it sounds like his win rate should be higher than fifty dollars an hour, but maybe not. I don't know how many tables you can play. Uh, I, like I said, I, I I did not ask him his hourly. Uh, he he yeah. gave me the big he gave me the big blinds per hundred, but he also gave me a good glimpse of the massive amount of work he needs to be to do to be the top guy on those sites. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I mean, I, I don't know. I think that's not the lifestyle I would want for myself, but I think for some people grinding, you know, four tables, you know, $16 a table, if you're playing one, two, two well, so 64 an hour, you know, well, if, 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 if 50, but 50 bucks an hour is that's a hundred K a year. I mean, that's not, yeah. You know. No, it's not earth shattering money, but it's, uh, I'll take it. It's a solid job, yeah, and pretty pretty low variance. You know, if you're if you're playing that many hands and you have that kind of win rate, you have very very you're you're going to get very close to your expectation. Yeah, but uh, yeah, like I said, I just you know we start. I mean, I ran real good in tournaments for a couple of years, and I just thought poker was easy. And now I'm like you know not even I'm well behind the learning curve. But even like the low, lowest stakes cash is uh, you better be busting your ass. To learn how to beat that online, anyways. Like I said, I, I would yeah. think, you know, I'm I'm going to remain the tourney donk for at least a little while, even against against the wisdom of, of far smarter people than myself. Then, but um, eventually, like it, I, there's there's still enough money to make a living. Yeah, playing playing low stakes cash. Definitely. Yeah, I think what we alluded to earlier, like, you know, there's there's different routes to to making a lot of money playing poker and you know, a lot of money is relative, obviously, but if you're going to take the sort of the route where you play the available casino games and you play the available online games in your state, especially if you're living in the U.S., like, and you're playing mostly cash, there's going to be a, a cap to your earnings, and you're either going to have to, one, play tournaments, two, be the guy who, you know, gets into the private games, helps sustain the private games by attracting fish, Right. Uh, in order to be able to consistently play a really good 1025 game uh, or higher, or you know, t- somehow have the capital to play in huge games where the action is softer because you, the fish are rich and don't feel like being a fish at 510. They'd rather be a fish at 5,100. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're just talking about expectations. Like, you know, I did my little calculations. You know, the post office, I was making probably 62K a year. But if you add in, you know, retirement benefits and everything else, it's like, it's kind of a $100,000 a year job, I think. And I'm like, okay, 50 bucks an hour playing poker. And um, I mean, I might become a $50 an hour guy playing cash here um, at some point. But right now, certainly, I would, you know, if you gave me 35 bucks an hour, I would. Uh, I would jump at that because 
you know, that my hourly, well, certainly playing cash has been, has been much lower than that. But that is, uh, that's about fixing the leaks there, not calling with pocket sevens, three streets, <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think that actually totally lost my train of thought. I'll get back. Well, it is, you know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, there's one guy who at the casino I play at and, um, like I say, I don't, I don't think I'm exaggerating like how bad the, the five-five game is. The one guy is coaching me in cash. He says, "Dude, just move to Los Angeles." I said, "Well, I have a son. My son here is like, well, you only have him two, th- two or three days a week. I'm not married to his mom. Live in LA and come down here and, and get a hotel for what, whatever you got to do. LA is just so much better." Um, so this is actually, you know, these are some of those game selection stuff we were talking about. But as long as I stay at this casino. You kind of have to lower your expectations. I was going to say there's this kid. He was a pro in New Jersey for 10 years. He said and every year made at least 50 bucks an hour. And it's just – it's changed. And he has dropped to 2-3. And, like, I, he has no ego involved. He's married, da, da, da. But he's um, – yeah, he's, he's had to take a big pay cut, basically, to stay with the company, I guess. So it used to be – used to be a 100K a, jo- a year job, and now it's, it's 60K, and he can still yeah. – he can still live off that. It just, you know, it's no longer the two-week vacation in Hawaii. It's probably the one week and whatever other changes he needs to make kind of thing. Right. I think this all gets at why uh, it's so important to, you know, love the game. And you have to enjoy the time playing. You have to be willing to maintain and improve your skills. And I think you have to, like, find a way to take advantage of what poker has to offer. I mean, the fact that you can play, like your job exists all over the world. Right. And that's not, you know, I think you've alluded to some of the challenges uh, that a lot of people face, uh, but in, in terms of taking advantage of that kind of thing. But I think the more you can, the more fulfilling uh, a poker lifestyle will be. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I went to, um, well, I, I mean, I've got a son, so I'm not going to be traveling, in jail, but I did just go to Rarotonga in the Cook Islands in New Zealand because my buddy owns a resort out there and I got a you know, free trip. But uh, he's, he said, I'll set up some cash games so for awesome. you. And, um, you know, I actually made money while I was out there. So it was right. kind of, it, it was pretty cool. I'm not going to have, um, like I said, a lot like that. But, you know, you do have to remind yourself, yeah, you know, how... Because I was, I was in a bad streak going out there, and of course I'm, I'm a whiner. So I was talking about this. He's like, dude, do you realize you play a game for a living? You know, that's so. You know, I got all my buddies from college. A lot of them, you know, they make a lot of money. Uh, this guy does, but you know, I'm the one who gets to play a game for a living. So I do. You do have to remind yourself of that. Yeah. And if you assuming assuming I can I can continue to do that and sustain it. But um, yeah, I mean. The the poker player who's making we're talking we're talking about hourly making whatever fifty thousand a year I think is so much luckier than the uh, the car salesman who makes one hundred and fifty k a year I would not make that trade for sure. It's it's nice to work for yourself and have that kind of flexibility. And just yeah, absolutely. I, I, I like the I like the fly by night thing. It's like, do I want to work today? Do I want to? Uh, well, there's a tournament in LA, and I could grind cash here. I could play online, or I could. No, I'm I'm just gonna screw it. I'm going to the beach. Um, you know, what I mean that that aspect of it, just being your own boss, and is obviously, yeah, it's just it's hard to trade that. Yeah, I wish I had that fourth option. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's yeah. Southern California is. That's one of the reasons we've, you know, we've come up with the games are so, um, the games are so bad there, and it's just so pro heavy. It's like, well, these pros, well, yeah, they can move to L.A. and and double their win rate, but you know, the the L.A. casinos are kind of a little bit scuzzy, and the, the one we, you know we play at is like you can actually walk to the beach if you wanted to. You know, it's it's like a mile, a mile and a half away. Um, so yeah, North County San Diego is about as good as it gets for if you're a young dude who you know single and you know surfing women whatever you're whatever you're looking for you know it's pretty it's pretty hard to beat I think. Sounds nice. I'm sure Cleveland's nice too. Is that where you guys live? I'm living in New York City now, actually. Yeah, we definitely spent a lot of time at the casino in Cleveland, though. We've done our time. Oh, Don't worry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm sure Cleveland has a lot to offer too. 
I don't miss the st- I miss the stability I, in uh, all my friends at the post office in Connecticut. But uh, every time I talk to my buddy, and oh, 17 inches of snow yesterday, man. I can't even, you know. Yeah. Just being yeah, yeah. that that's that stuff I don't miss at all. I was never a skier, and you know, so that's that had no appeal to me whatsoever. I could see myself being on the east, you know, in the northeast for a while, but it's, you know, there's I'm definitely factoring in the weather is like a pretty big minus, so. I wouldn't be surprised if that overtakes it sooner than later. Yeah, I would. I would love to get down. You know, pretty much any other climate would be would be great. Yeah, the travel thing. Um, yeah, it does. Like you said, it just it gives you a lot of options. Like for, for me, uh, the, the one online grinder I was talking about before is moving to Thailand. And it's funny. Before I even asked him, I was going to say, you know, are you going to be near? The, he was like, oh, we're you know, we rented a place. It's you know, right near the beach. Um. So yeah, you get you get you get travel, and there's a, a kid at the casino here who's crushing the 10:25, who's not really, you know, he's he's getting ready for his long Europe Europe trip, where he's you know not gonna just not only gonna be seeing Europe, but he's gonna, he knows which casinos he's going to, and hopefully it'll be pro- he's making money and traveling at the same time. So yeah, that's that's definitely right. a unique aspect of poker for sure. Yeah, no, it sounds like yeah, certainly. Uh, well, Mike. We don't want to take any more of your time when you could be crushing these games, the casino. Uh, yeah, well, I don't crush them, but uh, you never know. Things are turning around here. We appreciate baby steps. Baby steps. Yes. Yeah. We really, we really do appreciate you coming on the podcast, and are happy to finally have you on. It was long overdue, and yeah, thank you so Thanks, much. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. It was great fun, and hopefully, I'm on again. And I'm going to specifically look for hands that I I play 100% right, just so I can, you know. <laughs> Get some praise going in my directions yeah, here. Yeah, that, that wouldn't be a really fun uh, oh, no, no. We, episode. We like to feel smart. Oh, okay. Well, okay. I'm, I'm no, sure I'm you will. I'm just kidding. Okay, uh, guys. Yeah, also respect for waking up so early. Uh, yeah. No, this is <laughs> – I still I still internally have the mailman's – even when I sometimes come back from the casino at 4 a.m., I just pop out of bed at 7, and I'm like, oh, shit. You know, so. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. No sacrifice made there. Yeah, that's not Jack style. No, no, I, nice. well, I, I don't really set an alarm. I normally do get up by like eleven or eleven thirty, but uh, there was some some insomnia in the middle of the night last night, and I guess I just zoomed right to like twelve thirty, thirty minutes after this podcast recording was supposed to start. I and when it did start, I assume. Uh, so sometimes I'll be in a nice deep sleep, and then I'll I'll have a nightmare about misclicking during a weekend tournament, and then I'm just you know. It's it's over. I'm up now. I'm awake. Oh no, I'm I'm joking, but yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I always run good in my dreams, so. Uh, oh okay. Yeah, I never want to wake I, up. I'm very I'm very balanced in that respect. Then, yeah. <laughs> okay, boys. All right. Well, nice, Mike. Nice thank talking. you again, and we'll talk to you soon. Great man. Bye now. Bye.